Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety from the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me this evening via Zencaster is my friend Michael Leboff. And Mike, uh, I know they won last night, but I mean, what are the Islanders doing out there? Like, honestly, it's it's become a real problem. And I have not had a lot of fun watching this team play in the last couple of weeks right now. We'll talk about why they won last night in a minute, but like, generally speaking, they've been bad. <laughs> and it's it's worrisome in a lot of ways like if if they didn't win last night god can i oh my god yeah that these these today and tomorrow would be two of the longest days of the year just waiting for that rangers game where the rangers would have had the chance to cut it to four four games with two more games against the islanders coming up or four points with two more games against the islanders coming up in a couple days uh just horrifying to even think about uh but it's also like it's worrisome because Look, this is the NHL. Like we know how important recent form is when you're heading into the tournament. Um, if the Islanders make the playoffs, like you, if you look back, it's the teams that have played well over the last 25 or so games of the season that that tend to carry that into uh, into the into the playoffs. Like we saw it with the Blues, we saw it with the Blue Jackets when they beat the Lightning. I mean, we saw it even with the Islanders, like when they when they beat the Penguins, and uh, it's the throwing out last year because of ob- the obvious reasons like it that's an important thing so they need to get the ship right for a variety of reasons first of all because now the playoffs aren't you know that yes they're much more likely to make the playoffs than they are to miss them but uh they're not a foregone conclusion 
right now. And if, if the Islanders put together a five game losing streak, like, which like I said, is probably unlikely, but it's definitely a possibility. Like you're, that's, that's what they're, that's kind of like what's standing in the way between us and a true disaster. Um, But so that's why, like, there's a lot of reasons, obviously, why these games are important. And it seems like the, the issues are not only like, there are some, uh, I'm sure uh, bigger pro like there, there's stuff they can't control, right? The Anders Lee injury, obviously, or, you know, baby fatigue or rookies hitting a wall or stuff like that. But there are also problems that they're creating on their own. Uh, I I was incredibly frustrated last night watching them try to string passes together against the Flyers mm. because they didn't. Like I've <laughs> never, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that uh, from a team that ended up winning a game. Like because because a lot of times when when it, when it ends up when a team ends up winning thanks to a goalie, they don't they don't give up. You know, the goalie just like faces a barrage of shots. Uh, it makes a great save. Like like Dwayne Rollison's fifty three game. 53 save against saves against the Maple Leafs. First of all, the Islanders were bad back then, so there's a big difference there. But but also like he was facing like a ton of volume. Like every chance it seemed like was was a good chance for the Flyers last night. And it was a lot of stuff that the Islanders made a meal of on their own. Um like the Jordan Everly kind of giveaway and the the power play, uh where which that allowed Sean Couturier to come in or failed clearances in front of the net, stuff like that. So it's like there's a lot of internal uh like stuff that's going wrong i feel like and um i think the lineup construction too definitely deserves some criticism yeah we've seen uh portions and and scenarios like this before from the islanders and i was thinking the same thing yesterday uh that you were which is like why can't these guys put together two passes in a row like why can't they possess the puck for more than a single shot on goal it doesn't make any sense and we've seen things like this before where their forecheck has completely abandoned them. It has gone totally MIA. And so what happens is they, the, they, the puck ends up in their zone. They have a hard time getting it back. They can't clear it. They can't get possession. They it just keeps going back and forth. Maybe the other team gets a shot on goal. Maybe they don't, maybe they get a scoring chance. Maybe they don't puck generally stays out of their net. The Islanders finally get possession. They finally move on to the other side of the ice and they either dump it in and don't go after it or they carry it in, get one shot, don't pick it up again. There's no forecheck. And then the other team goes back the other way and then we do the whole thing over again. And then it goes on for 60 minutes. And that was basically what happened for the first 40 minutes of the game on Sunday night against the Flyers. And uh, I mentioned this in the column today that like, you know, Pierre Maguire was on the call, and at first I was like, oh, please don't make me listen to Pierre while I'm watching this game. And he had a lot of criticisms for the Islanders in that game, and frankly, he was right. Like, they stunk. They just didn't – and I say stuff like – they. I throw around words like they didn't show up or they couldn't be bothered as kind of like a general description of how I felt while watching it and how it looked to, you know, viewers on TV. But I know that that's not the case. Like, something happened – to make them play like this. And I don't know what it is. And Arthur Staple had a really interesting article today and the athletics, six things that, you know, what's wrong with them. And like, looked at kind of six possible reasons. And, you know, one of them might be that Travis Ajak just, and I'm not blaming Travis Ajak obviously for any of this, but like, he's not kind of a natural fit on any of these spots. Like he's played first line with Matt Barzell. He takes a lot of the draws. It means Barzell kind of isn't playing center. And I feel like it's, 
kind of crossing off a lot of, you know, get, crossing a lot of circuits and, and guys are maybe aren't that, you know, knowing what to do right next. I didn't think Barzell was that bad in that game against the Flyers. In fact, I think the only, the only forwards I would say were actually pretty good in that game were Brock Nelson, who had a bunch of the scoring chances of the Islanders, Leo Komarov, who played a pretty good game. And you, I mean, when Leo has one of the best games of the forwards, you know, it's bad, right? Like that's, that's a bad sign when it's like, Hey, Leo looked pretty good. That's not good. You don't want to see that. And I thought Barzell was okay too, but like, they just generated absolutely nothing for 40 minutes. Now, in the third period, they actually played pretty well. And and they, you know, you could argue that they controlled most of the play. The reason they won that game was Ilya Sorokin. And he, he was fantastic in the first period. He was fantastic in the second period. That game would have been 5 nothing Flyers easily halfway through if it not for him. And so the only silver lining you could take away from that game was basically him. And then, you know, they get to overtime. And, the you know, Nick, Nick, Nick Letty gets credit for the goal. But really... It was a pass aimed at Jordan Everly that was probably never going to make it to him that just happened to bounce off Travis Sanheim's stick and underneath the pads of Brian Elliott, who was pretty good himself. And, like, the funny thing was the whole game, like, Sanheim had probably half a dozen chances all on his own. He could have scored at any of them. He didn't. And then he ends up kind of being the goat and scoring on his own goalie in the end inadvertently. So, like, that was a game – and you're right, like – Getting two points out of that game was huge for our psyche, for our relaxation level. The Rangers are inarguably the hottest team in the division right now. The Bruins, who we're going to talk about a lot in a second, are you know right behind them, or you know in terms of hotness, although they're right ahead of them in the standings. And like, you can't discount how important those two points were. But at the same time, if you're looking at that game, that is not a confidence-inspiring game by the Islanders. And this has been a pattern now for two weeks. The best game they've played in the last three weeks was that one nothing win over the the Capitals in which Vitek Vanacek basically did what Sorokin did to the Flyers like he just kept them in the game until you know Nelson eventually scored so then I'm with you like they need to get this right because the playoffs are going to start soon and if the Islanders are lucky to even be above the line when they happen you can't go into the playoffs playing this poorly like it's you just can't do it it would be a very very bad idea exactly and and like the Sorokin performance and we, we've talked about him on a couple episodes now and in like similar ways was I guess maybe the what the most ref- impressive performance from a goaltender like I kept going back to that Dwayne Rolison game because like like I'm sure Robin Leonard I mean Thomas Grice had a great one against the Hurricanes a couple of years ago right, and for one. Season. he had one yeah. against the Canadians too right one. yeah but like there's I can't remember a game that was like a goalie doing this in a game with the stakes as high as this one had, I guess, is is what I was trying to say. Um, and you pr- you really would have to probably go back a pretty long way. And uh, you know, I'd love to hear if anyone has a has like the, a, a game that sticks out to them because I I don't think I'll forget about this one. Like this, you know, they're like I don't. I, a lot of Islander fans haven't forgotten that Dwayne Rollison game, despite Dwayne Rollison backstopping a terrible team in that season. Like <laughs> it sticks out, right? Right? Like you don't forget these kind of things, and. Um, it was un. Uh, it was so weird how calm he was throughout the whole thing. Like they, he made so many great saves, but the, the what made me the most impressive thing was it was not frantic. Like he wasn't jumping. It wasn't like a scramble in front of the net. Then he would leap across the, the crease to like rob someone with his glove. He would deal with very tough opportunities, but it would be like you know on a two on one or a breakaway or partial breakaway or a clear shot from the point with traffic in front. But his rebound control was so good that he 
bailed out his defense from needing to scramble in front of the net on on basically every occasion. There were a couple hairy moments right in front of the crease, but his he there was shots from the point where I was like, um, oh, like I don't know if it was Sanheim or, or Provorov, but like someone just like walked in from the left point and fired a shot with, and there were three flyers right in front of him, and there was no rebound. It, he just he just sucked it up right into his belly. It was just. It was so so impressive on that level. Like we we've we've seen games from him where you you marvel at his athleticism, scrambling across the crease to to rob a two on one or uh, to rob someone with a glove. But this game was like his most. Uh, you you saw the level of how good this guy is when he's at his top, like when he's in form, and it like masterful. Like I couldn't. Uh, there was just so so much that you could say about it. But the unfortunate thing is that the team playing in front of him took so much of that attention away from it because they were playing so bad. And, yeah. uh, and like you said, like I think you could make the argument that it was, it was between Nelson and Komarov for the best Islanders skater yesterday. I think both Pelik and Kulak, I guess, but, but offensively and uh, like Leo Komarov kind of when Leo Komarov is your best player, like you said, it's not good because he's not, you know, he's your 12th or 13th forward in an ideal world, but also it, probably means the team it, like it's this kind of game where the team needs somebody to to kind of just like break the script a little bit like leo does to survive and and they did i like i don't know if the islanders win that game without leo he had a great uh penalty killing shift he had a, he had a, there was a lot going on uh like it it was one of those it was a game that he like goes into his good ledger because when when he has bad games they're so noticeable mm-hmm. um and when he has good games like they're I guess they're not like like they're just because he stays out of the penalty box he's not letting goals up against uh and and that's kind of the game he had like he was he was a gnat he was basically a very 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 poor man's Brad Marchand like doing doing annoying things and and being effective at it but like the rest of the team just wasn't there like it was it was really strange that the Islanders were able to beat this team with Ilya Sorokin Leo Komarov Brock Nelson Matt Barzell and Pelik and Pollock being the only guys that really showed up to work. And, uh, and, and I think part of it was, you know, the, the strain that a bad lineup puts on this team, like, cause it's pretty clear that, um, you know, Kyle Palmieri and Travis Ajak are still finding their legs with the, the team and, and which is fine. Like we knew it would be an adjustment period, but that, and that's going to cause a little bit of strain on the rest of the lineup and a trickle down effect. But then introducing Braden Colburn to the mech, to the mech, uh, to the mix, and then make which makes it more of a mess, is going to put even more strain. So like, I was I was very confused by the whole thing because it was just it was not a problem that needed to happen, and it did. And the fact that the Islanders were able to survive it was a, a minor miracle. Yeah, I forgot to mention. So um, so yeah, Colburn came in for Noah Dobson, who sat. And, you know, Barry Trot said he was he'd been kind of struggling lately. And that's that's maybe true. I mean, it's possible like he's still young. And I'm you know, I've said it before, like I'm not totally against sitting young players like that. But, man, I never want to see Coburn and Green in the same lineup ever again. Like that, that <laughs> that pairing was absolutely destroyed, especially in the first period. Uh, the Flyers had. 13 scoring chances for, and the Islanders had uh, four scoring chances in that first period. And that just gives you an indication of how lopsided the game was. There wasn't, they weren't all on green and, and Coburn, but they were a lot, (laughs) a lot of them were on there. Um, They also were without Cal Clutterbuck and Josh Bailey who were hurt. 
And, you know, we've seen guys like that go down before. And, you know, it's funny because I've been thinking this whole time that Bailey's had not great a season. Like he's been invisible in a lot of games. And I mean, obviously that's nothing new for Josh Bailey, but like sometimes he has those stretches where he's just integral to everything that goes on. And he hadn't really had that this season and Clutterbuck, you know, we talked about the fourth line, not really being as good this season as they had in the past too. And, you know, with Clutterbuck, he had, he had, for the first month or so, he couldn't feel his hand. Right. That was the whole thing. Like, he's like, yeah, I'm still numb in my hand. We're like, okay. Um, and so that that's caused a lot of problems too, but you know, you can't discount those things, but at the same time, like, we're talking about effort level and you know, Josh Bailey and Cal Clutterbuck being out, even Noah Dobson being out doesn't mean that you can't like forecheck the puck and you can't just give it up all the time. And just, you know, as soon as the flyers, you know, kind of come and just take it from you. And that was really the problem. Uh, I'm looking at natural stat trick right now. Barzell played the fifth least point uh, minutes in that game. He only played 1251. Leo Komarov played 1418. I mean, it's a minute and a half uh, difference. Nelson led all forwards at 16-13. So Nelson definitely had a good game. You know, Leo had a Leo game. Like, the underlying numbers are terrible, but he was he seemed pretty effective to the to the eye. And then Barzell, I mean, only played barely 13 minutes, and it seemed like he was doing stuff out there, but he just couldn't find any space, and he couldn't kind of get an opening. And, I, I mean, I barely remember any kind of uh, scoring chances he had. So it was a very odd game, and – you know, we could look at these weird numbers. Oliver Wallstrom, by the way, only played 755. It didn't even break eight minutes. Um, didn't look particularly good, but he didn't wasn't out there that long. So it was a very weird game. And again, to come away with two points is enormous. And those two points really kind of belong to one guy. Now, going back a little bit further, you had two games against the Bruins on Thursday and Friday. And to be honest, uh, Sorokin wasn't that bad on Friday either. But the Islanders lost three nothing. Jeremy Swayman made 25 saves for his first NHL shutout. Of course, it had to come against the Islanders. Uh, David Pasternak scored with two seconds left in the first period. The first period actually wasn't too bad for the Islanders. And then Pasternak scores with two seconds left because, again, they just kind of like let the Bruins just kind of traipse around their own zone for the last 15 seconds of period, just kind of expecting the clock to run out. And it just never did until Pasternak scored. And then early in the second, Taylor Hall scores a very easy goal. And that was when I turned the game off because I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and watch this for the second night in a row. They just didn't care. 4-1, they lost on Thursday. And, I mean, they were awful. They were just absolutely terrible. I mean, they were a little bit better in the second, but in the first, shots were 23-7 to Boston. Like, how does that even happen? They were lucky to be down two goals. And it just never got much better than that. There was no urgency. There was no, you know, try and fight back. And it's it's just been very, very weird. And I just... You know, we keep we keep we have this like demarcation line of since the trade deadline, they've been this bad. And that's that's true to a certain extent. Again, nobody's blaming Palmieri and Zajac for for these struggles. But boy, like what is going on? Like what is happening? Where did that team go? The team that just forechecked the hell out of you and just drove you nuts in your own zone until you just finally just gave up a goal like that team is just gone right now. And I don't know what I don't even know what the plan is anymore. Like you said, there were passes to nowhere. Like, what are you doing? And I'm I'm yelling it into the computer as if they can hear me. And my wife and daughter keep turning around like, did you say something? I'm like, no, nah, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the Yeah, Islanders. I did. Yeah, I'm talking <laughs> to Leah. I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking to Matt Martin. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, I don't It's very frustrating. And here come the Rangers. Again, very hot team right now. Chasing the Bruins right behind them. And one of the only good thing about those Bruins losses was it also kept the Rangers from getting that much closer. But like, they just came off a four-game sweep of the Devils. And look, we've had our thing with the Devils. Like, they're done. 
And so good on the Rangers for getting those points, but like you can't let them take any more. <laughs> you just can't do it. And they can't show up to a game and then just kind of like, you know, go through the motions for two periods and hope to come out with two more points because the Rangers are just going to eat them alive. Yeah, I think we've seen much more bad than good. And the the one like kind of really consistently good period, I think actually, yeah, you said it, like the third period against the Flyers was pretty pretty good. It wasn't great. But that first period against the Rangers a couple of nights ago was was really good. Like they were buzzing. And then they, they took a 2 nothing lead into the locker room. And right. then the Bad Islanders, skating. Yeah, then the Bad Islanders <laughs> came out and didn't go away until uh, the, the third period of against the Flyers. And if you think about that team, the team that went, uh, you know, drove the Rangers up a wall on whatever night that was. And this one, the, yeah, like Clutterbuck and Bailey are out of the lineup. That's not, you know, they're not, those aren't, shouldn't be to a good team, irreplaceable guys who just sink a season. The, the Lightning are, have played the entire year without Nikita Kucherov. <laughs> the Islanders should be able to survive uh, without Josh Bailey for a night or two, because that's mm-hmm. what happens in an NHL season. Uh, but they just, they haven't clicked. Like you can just, we we talk about all the time. It's very easy to tell when this team is, is fighting it and you, they're fighting it. Like they're off fighting it in, basically up and down the lineup except for yeah the the rookie goaltender who Mm. i don't think you can take the keys away from him right now just because of the like he's he's now become like an integral part of the season which is if you had asked like a couple uh months months ago like when the season first started you'd be like no i think this is just going to be kind of the entire year they're just going to ease him in and now he's could be the difference between them finishing you know with home ice advantage or making the playoffs whatever it is like there's there's a lot of crucial points on the line and he might be the guy like the team has enough confidence we have enough confidence in him as fans that he i think he should probably get the bulk of the work until proven otherwise because when the islanders are going well i think Simeon varlamov is a great fit for them because he's a just like a kind of a reliable goalie like any other goalie he has a bad game here or there and a great game here or there but he's just like a solid like nine you know, he'll save 91% of the shots, not between 91 and 92% of the shots, and, and just play a game where he, the game he's supposed to play. Whereas, like, if they are need, if they need somebody to steal a game, which they got the other night, like, now it's the better chances with, uh, with the youngster. Like, like, Sorokin is that guy. Like, he seems to have the, the, the chops to do that, which is awesome, first of all. Like, it's, it, like I said, it kind of stinks that they're playing this poorly because I want to spend as, so much time just glowing about, the way he's been playing and, and like how awesome this guy could be. Like we talked earlier in the season about what, what a goal, having a goaltender, a generational goaltender could do to your franchise's fortunes. He can, he can extend windows. It can basically drag you. Like look what Connor Hellebuck did last year with the, the jets. Mm-hmm. He dragged them to the playoffs. Like you can, that when you have a goalie, this with this high of a ceiling, like those things, no matter what the rest of the roster looks like are possible. But unfortunately, we can't like I can't just spend time talking about Sorokin because there's just so many other things that are bothering me. <laughs> and like you said, like the the Rangers are red hot, the Bruins are red hot. They're the uh, in this obviously in this schedule format that kind of means that the other teams can't possibly be red hot because they're losing to each other. Mm. But the, they're lucky that the the Capitals haven't run away with the division. They're lucky that the Penguins haven't run away with the second spot um, because they're those teams are obviously having their own issues, but. The pressure from from the back end of the the playoff chase is, you know, much more than I really wanted to sign up for. I really just was. I thought I thought for sure this was going to be the year. Like, 
a nice easy coast to the playoffs, nothing <laughs> to worry about, you know, go into the playoffs in good form. But obviously that has completely changed. And yeah, nope. I'm not, I'm not like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like, I'm worried. Like I'm, I'm genuinely worried because the ske- the way the schedule is unfolding now, I think it's the next six games against the Rangers and yes. Capitals. Like it's, it's one. Horrible. So they play, they play the Rangers Tuesday. They play the Caps Thursday, Saturday, and then Tuesday again. And then two more against the Rangers after that. Right. So that's 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 a week where we're going to be in a submarine, basically. Hmm. And and the submarine could just – you just don't know if you're going to come up for air or if the submarine's going to get sucked to the bottom of the ocean. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like very – because it's – that's that's a horrifying kind of stretch. And yeah. um, they, they're going to need to play exponentially better than they have uh, to come out of this stretch and be like, all right. Because look, the other thing is like maybe the third period plus the win against the Flyers writes the ship, mm-hmm. um, which which is like the glass half full approach, and they they play better against the Rangers and the Capitals, and they take and they they, they snuff out the Rangers uh, playoff hopes and and put pressure on the Capitals, maybe take first place from the Capitals. But it just looks more likely than not that this next week with these six games is going to be much more gruesome than it will be uh, fun. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's, yeah, it's going to be pretty awful. Um, we'll talk more about them on the other side of the break. Um, we didn't mention Varlamov, but yeah, he, um, he made 41 saves in that four and one loss to Boston on Thursday. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. On Thursday. So like he was the one guy who basically showed up from the, from the opening drop to the last net. So, you know, again, both goalies right now are the only guys who are doing anything and they're going to need a lot more than that to beat the Rangers and caps. Uh, we're going to talk about them plus some other stuff on the other side. Don't forget to leave us a review at iTunes. Make sure you put your Twitter handle uh, or Instagram handle in the review. We've gotten a lot of great reviews, which is great, but people are forgetting to put their their Twitter handles in there because if you don't, you can't enter for a chance to win some eBay swag from us at the end of the month, which is coming up pretty rapidly. So don't forget to do that iTunes review. All right, come back on the other side and uh, we'll keep on going. All right. Cool. I just realized I'm still like, logged into my work VPN. So I can't, I don't want to take it out now. Cause then I don't know if there's going to be like a <laughs> drop or anything. So I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal each week. You're here is in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Our favorite sponsor is VintageIceHockey.com, where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos. 
They also have our Al Arbor t-shirts and our portion goes directly to the Center for Dementia Research. They also have a code called Lighthouse15, which you can use to save yourself 15%. They got all kinds of cool stuff there, like New Haven Nighthawks and things like that. Uh, New England Whalers, New York Golden Blades, uh, Long Island Ducks, you name it. Check it out. VintageIceHockey.com. They're adding new stuff all the time. Um, okay, so as I mentioned before, Arthur Staple had a really cool article today about <laughs> all the the things that ail the Islanders right now. And the stat that jumped out to me the most was that they've only won four of the 18 games since Andrews Lee has been lost for the season in regulation. So, they, I mean, they've won more than four games, but most of them have been in overtime or a couple of shootouts in there. Four regulation wins in 18 games. So this isn't like a new problem that the Islanders are dealing with right now. And as you just said, they got two teams coming in. Caps aren't super hot right now, but I mean, it doesn't take much to get them hot. Uh, they also have Alex Ovechkin, who is chasing history, tied Marcel Dion the other day for uh, fifth most goals in the NHL in NHL history. Um, you know, he could obviously pass Dion with one more. They got three games against this guy. He's one hundred percent going to pass Dion in one of these games. Uh, the next guy after him is Brett Hull, who is, I believe, 11 goals beyond Dion. And I mean, as I wrote today, I think Ovechkin could definitely score 11 goals in 13 games. Uh, and it, you know, just he'll do that just despite the Islanders. Um, but, you know, the Caps, they've been a little bit up and down. They lost to the Bruins on Sunday, which, you know, maybe gives you an indication of how well the Bruins are playing right now. But man, the, the Rangers right now are rolling. And I think that a lot of that has to do with them playing the Devils, but a lot of that has to do with them just finding their game like you know they got two goalies that are making a lot of stops they have the best goal differential right now in the entire division they score a ton of goals obviously and uh this is basically a nightmare scenario it's a nightmare scenario because the islanders have to win these games they haven't played well for a long time and they have to play well to keep the islanders the rangers out of the playoffs and keep themselves in and uh i just you know this is this if this if they end up coming out well out of this stretch it's going to mean a lot for our confidence and obviously theirs as well. If they don't, I mean, I, I don't even know. I don't even want to think about it. It's going to just be the worst thing ever. It's just, you know, the whole season, like you said, could go up in in, in smoke and in the in the span of a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I just don't understand. Like we, we knew that there would be a rough patch and I thought maybe that rough patch they had already dealt with. It was the one early in the season when. We had bad Uncle Leo running around and ruining games for us. and But, you know, that's naive to think that you wouldn't have another dip. And it's just a terribly timed one. Uh, and th- having these teams be the ones coming in is, is really, f- really frightening stuff. And I, I do, like, I do think that the Islanders st- still, like, even, like, they're going to, I hope that they, they're playing, they're going to play better because it's hard for them not to. <laughs> and I do, like, start to feel like, like that, that win last night, that, can kind of propel them in back into form. But I think like when you're, we're talking about this team that, that is missing Andrews Lee and now Bailey and Clutterbuck are, are questionable or whatever. And um, that's, that puts a lot of kind of pressure on the coach because the coach is the one who's supposed to navigate these situations. And, and as much as we love and praise Barry Trotz, like when you, when you do make a decision, like dressing a guy who's playing, 15% of the games for the worst, one of the worst teams in the league, but can't crack that lineup. Then maybe you should think about like a better time for that. Like I get, and I, and, and I get the idea of wanting to, he, he's going to be an emergency guy in the playoffs or that at least that was the plan. And you, you want him to maybe get some game action to get used to 
playing with his new teammates, but doing it in a game with the stakes that high is frightening. And thinking about Braden Coburn and Andy Green trying to stop Artemi Panarin or <laughs> Alex Ovechkin is, is frightening. And uh, you you just hope that that was a you know shot across the bow to the team. Like, look, I'm not, I'm I'm happy to scratch players uh, if if they're not up to snuff. It does kind of seem inevitable that Oliver Wallstrom's heading for a little bit of a break. It like, but that's not really what this team is calling for at the moment. Like they're calling for an infusion of talent rather than a deletion of talent, mm. which is another like kind of frustrating thing because it's just the whole team isn't playing well and and or doing their job, I guess, save for a few people. And that that kind of I think that does include the coaching staff. Like the power plays sputtered. Uh, Oof. The, yeah, tell know, me about it. And, and like the the lineup construction just hasn't been great uh i guess like the only shining star has been the, the penalty kill and, and the other issue like they haven't really found it seemed a spot for palmary and or zajac and i don't understand what the and, and i get like this whole thing with get, trying to get too cute with having zajac take the face-offs and barzell doing less like but he matt barzell was playing really well while kind of do playing center so for the whole yeah. season and his whole career so i don't understand what what like that that is i think that maybe galaxy branding things a little bit and you hope that uh maybe they reel that stuff in like you, you try it you see if you catch lightning in a bottle it's obviously not worked through the first few games uh and you hope that that's recognized and tomorrow against the rangers we start to see a more optimal lineup uh especially if bailey and clutterbuck are gone because like there is there's definitely a way this thing goes south and and putting out a lineup where you're feeding Braden Coburn to the wolves is not going to help uh, mm. us on this side of, of the glass or where the guy's playing. Just It's not. So let's just, uh, that's, that's like the, f- the first hurdle of, of terror is going to be when that, those morning <laughs> uh, morning skate lines come out tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Because if there's, there's a chance that like it could be, it could go even worse, like funkier with Walsham coming out. And there are some guys in the press box who, I really don't want to see in the lineup for a game this important. So uh, there's there's just like a lot like it, it, this is it's like kind of in the playoffs. Like your whole day gets consumed by by like by line rushes and morning line stuff and press conference quotes like mm. Barry Trotz. A lot of people are calling for Scott Mayfield to be scratched, um, which uh, I, I, I get. Like I think he's been tough, but the options are aren't like much better than Scott Mayfield uh, at the moment. So like. But like the, you, your your whole day gets kind of consumed by that stuff when when the, the stakes are raised, and now we're dealing with it when we should be kind of coasting through and and figuring out what works before the playoffs. And now it's yeah, it, it is, uh, it is kind of high and and it, like the the pressure is high and and I, I just really wasn't expecting to to <laughs> be in, in this kind of spot. Yeah, uh, I'm we're playing with fire a little bit because this is going to come out Monday night. People are going to listen to it Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon. We're playing with fire a little bit when talking about lineup decisions, but I really hope that you know Coburn played because it was the Flyers, and I mean, I, I mean that with all due respect. Like they're not the fastest team in the world. Their D in particular is not really great, and so you know they were not hot. Also coming in, they're they're below the Rangers. I mean, I think it's a, it's easy to say that their season is effectively over at this point, barring another you know some kind of miracle run. Um, I don't know if Coburn would play against the Rangers. That seems like a crazy thing to me. Um, you know, Wallstrom again played uh, team low. You know, not even eight minutes in the last game. And I, you know, I, I get it. He hasn't had a, he hasn't had a point in like nine games, I think, or something like that. And I get that 
you know, you you kind of want to scratch. He's the easiest guy to scratch because he's young and they could move him kind of around with with impunity. But he's not the only guy sh- struggling. And he's got skills that we've seen that the rest of the team needs to pick up on. The, again, the forechecking skills, the keeping the puck in the, own, in the zone, getting shots off. He's not afraid to shoot from anywhere. And, like, that's what they kind of need right now. And the, nobody's doing that. And it almost feels like every line comes out being like, okay, we'll let the other line score. And then the other line doesn't score. And then it just keeps on rolling. Um, you know, even the fourth line hasn't been themselves lately. And last night uh, against the Flyers, they played with Travis Ajak for a little while on, on in Clutterbuck's spot. And then Komarov went there and Zajac went back to the first line. So I, I do think there's a little bit of galaxy braining going on. But, you know, you're the coach. Like something, he's got to figure something else out. And I, you know... It's funny to me that they would play Coburn a week after getting him when, like you said, he you know, barely played for the worst team and one of the worst teams in the league. But yet Hickey, you know, once his little try was done, he was done and you haven't seen him since, you know, since uh, Dobson was out with with the COVID symptoms. So, like, I, you know, if you're going to make a switch on D, that's fine. Like, I don't know why Hickey wouldn't get another shot in there. And maybe I'm just biased because we like the guy. But, you know, if you're going to if you're going to sit Dobson and play Hickey. I mean, all right, I can kind of see that a little bit. At least he can keep up with with the Rangers. But I, sitting him for Coburn again, I think would be a huge mistake. And I just, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, you know, looking at the lineup and trying to figure out who's going where. I just, I had this awful thought, and I mean, you know, Barry Trotz deserves more respect than this. Uh, I should say though, by the way, after the game, he 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 acknowledged that they played poorly and that Ilya stole that game, and he, you know, kind of chalked it. He just said at one point, "That's hockey, man," and I was like. Is it though? Like, is that really what you're going to go with? You're just going to take the take the lucky two points and run with it. But I guess that's what you have to do in that situation. So it was both very funny and also very disappointing at the same time. But I just I had this awful feeling that like Kyle Palmieri's Islanders tenure is going to be kind of a short one. And I was like, wouldn't it be awful if if it was a short tenure and we never actually saw him play with Barzell until like you know, game six of the first round or something with elimination staring them in the face. And it was like, you know, for half a period and then nothing came of it. You know, like I just, I, if you're going to experiment, I, why not get, get really crazy with it? Just play Barzell and Palmieri and Everly and see what happens. Like Bar- Palmieri's not, not Lee, but that's okay. Like maybe they find some other kind of chemistry and, you know, I'm not the coach. So maybe that's just on me and, and it's a lefty, hand, you know, it's a handed thing. Who the hell knows? But I don't know, man. I just want, I thought that's why they got that guy. Like, why not just play him with the, the best center that you've got? I just, you know, to me, it's, it's pretty obvious, but again, I'm not Barry Trotz. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's not so obvious, but I think that's, it's a funny, it's a funny, like kind of quirk he has, right? Where he talks about, he wants games to be predictable. He wants his team to be attention, you know, well-drilled on the details and stuff. But uh, at the same time, he's much more of a wild card than he wants his team to be <laughs> with that kind of stuff. Hmm. Because yeah, like, there's a reason that everybody thought the Islanders would go get Kyle Palmieri or Taylor Hall. It's because Anders Lee got hurt and Anders Lee plays with Matt Barzell on the first line. Nobody in there, you know, in the millions of trade deadline articles wrote, well, the Islanders will trade for Kyle Palmieri and that'll be great because he'll, he'll provide support, uh, you know, down the lineup for the Leo Komarov left wing, <laughs> behind Leo Komarov on the first line left wing. And I guess, you know, you can say the same thing about Wallstrom to an extent, too. It's like, I don't like he had maybe he hasn't been going great because the pucks aren't going in for anybody right now. But I don't ever like notice him in the same way, like, you know, Kiefer Bellows or uh, 
Leo when he's not when he's doing bad stuff or Cal Clutterbuck in his uh poor season. Like I, I don't I'm not I don't sit and watch these Oliver Wallstrom shifts and come away being mad at him, which mm. to like I do with a lot of other players. I haven't really thought like he's been bad, like bad, bad. He's been quiet. Sure. But um, it doesn't seem like he's having like a terrible time in his own zone. He's, he's one of the players. He's, he's one of the few players who seems to like not try to overcomplicate things in the defensive zone too. Like he'll, he'll mm. just, you know, right. chip a puck off the glass. And if it's an icing, you know, you'll eat it. If not, you know, great. But um, I don't understand what his, um, you know, distrust is, I guess with, Barzell playing with with one of these two guys because I don't think either even Palmieri too like he he doesn't come with like a reputation that like Mike Hoffman would come with where it's just mm. like yeah this guy plays on one right, side one of the dimensional rep- yeah, he plays goal scorer one- type you know right yeah he does he comes with a much more well rounded reputation so sure. you'd hope that something like that especially when the team's scuffling comes because instead of you know making the the Braden Coburn lineup decisions like you could just make the more obvious ones and see if those work because. Yeah, putting Braden Coburn on like the Islanders. What ended up happening was he he inconvenienced Andy Green <laughs> by putting him on his offside just so he could. It wasn't like he was trying to slot prime Eric Carlson into the lineup. He was trying to he moved someone. He moved like our least you know technical, technically skilled, slowest defenseman to his offside because he wanted to get Braden Coburn in to prove a point to Noah Dobson. Uh, that that's like where it gets like a little frustrating at times. And uh, like I said, like you don't, we don't criticize Barry Trotz lightly. Like it hurts a lot because he's become one of the most important people in our lives. But Mm. like, that is something incredibly uh, frustrating and and just goes to show you that he, he, you know, no, there truly, if he's not infallible, like that, it does show you that nobody is because it's like he says everything right. He does everything right to an extent, but uh, this, this, uh, this is definitely something that drives everybody up a wall. And I did, I did think he, like he, he like you said, he had a good line about uh, the, how they played. And he also had a good line about uncle Leo because, mm. you know, in a game like last night, like they, they did, they certainly could have used uh, some, somebody pl- pulling off something mesmerizing offensively. But when that when it was clear it wasn't happening, that is, I guess, when Leo Kamarov is at his best, like winning in the kind of the gray area of the game. Uh, and he said, like, well, this isn't fantasy hockey. Like, he's not a good fantasy hockey player, but we're not playing fantasy hockey, uh, which I think is actually like the second outside of Gordon Miller calling an unmade bet of a player, probably like the second best synopsis of Leo Kamarov that we've ever heard. But uh, the, the you know, long story short, the uh, the, the lineup decisions are just compounding the problem compounding our anxiety because like i said if if you we wake up tomorrow and, and i see lineup that in the in the morning skate or here's like there's some hints at the morning skate that we could see some some weird roster changes on or lineup changes i'm i'm gonna have a very long day yeah yeah it's not gonna be a lot of fun uh um arthur also in his article threw out something that I mean, I don't know if Trotz is going to appreciate it, but it's something that I've been warning about for a little time too, is like, maybe it's time to get Ryan Pollock off the power play. And I know it's like, oh, but he's got that big shot. Yeah, okay, but like, how many times has it translated into a power play goal for the Islanders? The, the answer right now is basically zero because their power play has been hot trash. And like, we used to complain about them not getting power plays. Now I just don't care because they're just not going to score on them anyway. So, who, you know, who who cares at that point? So, 
um, you know, that, that would be another, another thing that you might want to try, but yeah, you know, Wallstrom, Palmieri, like, how about trying these guys with Barzell and just load them up and see what happens. I just, I don't know. It's, uh, it, you know, it, there's, there's things that the coach knows that we don't obviously. And, you know, we, we all laughed and, and hated when he put Leo with Barzell, but, you know, looking back, maybe, maybe he was onto something. Cause like they, they didn't play that poorly together. They just, they didn't give up too much and they didn't generate much either, but maybe they would have, if they just stayed together and kind of more familiar with themselves. And I can't believe I just said the words that came out of my mouth. So, you know, it's a weird time, but as you can see, it's, it's getting close to crunch time. I might go back to my old policy and just altogether skip tomorrow night's game against the Rangers. I used to, I had been actually watching them because there was no fans in the building. So I thought like it was safe for my anxiety to actually watch an Islanders Ranger game again without a bunch of steakheads, you know, whistling about Dennis Potvan or whatever, like, you know, but I, I might just, I might just skip it. And we, we started watching run, uh, Marvel's runaways on Hulu. So maybe I'll just go watch a couple episodes of that and tune in the game and <laughs> to score and see, see what happens at the end. Cause I'm not sure if I can take it. And then, then I got to deal with the caps later on, but I guess I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Oh, the other thing too is um, don't verbalize these complaints about trots too much because the caps fans are out there waiting in the weeds to be like, mm, told you so. He loves scratching those kids, man. If you have a 38-year-old defenseman that's slower than molasses, he's going to play. So be ready. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. every coach does that, man. Just relax. But anyway, yeah, I think so be careful. We're, and, we're, and we're used to it at this point, too. It's like, uh, you know, on the other side of uh, the – like outside of the Islanders or ca- I guess Capitals, Echo Chambers or I guess Predators, too. Like we, we know that this is a, 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 a kind of part of the, the master plan. Um, so I think actually like Islander fans have done a much better job handling the, um, disappointing lineup maneuvers than, than they did in the past. Cause it's like, it's not unbelievable. It's frustrating, but it's very believable. Like we are saying, like, it's not, it's, this is something that you just know is a possibility to happen. Like it's not out of the realm of, realm, realm of possibilities that tomorrow Ross Johnson's back in the lineup. Cause Barry mm. Trout says he wants to. You know, it's a big rivalry game, and he wants to make sure that the Islanders and like that. I don't know, Kevin Rooney, whoever the Rangers you know, version of Tom Wilson is, uh, it does you know stays in check or something. Like, like it's not out of the realm of possibilities. And I think Islander fans have grown to to understand that with with trots. They might not agree with it, but it's just part of the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just yeah, it's just who he is, and uh, you you. You just hope that he recognizes when things aren't working, which I think he does, and uh, isn't afraid to to just go with the the easy the the easy route. Because, yeah, I mean, even if like if you played Palmieri with Barzell, it's not like it wrecks the rest of the lineup because it's just him moving there and Kamarov moving somewhere else down the lineup, and the Wallstrom Pajot connection was working really well sure. for, for a while too. So it's like it's like there's nothing terrible that's going to come of it. So hmm. you just hope. Uh, you hope that those those things are as obvious and don't need as much nuance as uh, as they might, I guess. Yeah. Make it happen, Barry. You heard us. <laughs> we know you're listening. You could do that. Um, all right. Let's um, let's change the subject real quick uh, before we go to something completely different. But then we'll bring it back to hockey towards the end. So um, there's been some news lately uh, in the world of soccer. Uh, a couple of the or I should say about 12 of the biggest european clubs or really brands when you think about it um have decided and announced uh in kind of a weird way their intent to form a super league where they would sort of get together and play sort of a, you know uh, they would play in their own you know uh domestic leagues but then 
would break away to play in this other big league with these other big teams, sort of like a Champions League thing, but they would be um, not decided by their record, but they would just always be there with a couple of other clubs that kind of come in and out. Um, it's an idea that has been essentially universally reviled. And I was reading about it today and it's a pretty fascinating subject. And so you're a huge soccer fan. Um, again, I'll bring it back to hockey in a little bit, but I'm, I'm a non fan to sort of very casual, just throw it on the TV and, and have it in the background fan. So I want to kind of get your take on it and see, you know, why this is so awful and how close this thing is actually to coming to fruition. I know there's like a long way to go before then, but like, what, what was your take on this, uh, this whole announcement over the last couple of days, 24 hours, really? Yeah, I don't, I don't actually don't think it's just, just, um, about soccer too, right? This is kind of more about sports in general. Like yeah. we're, we know we're you, me, everybody who watches sports, like we know that how much money is in sports. And we also know how, you know, much wealth that can generate for somebody if they have the, the means to buy a team or whatever, um, that they will just get richer and richer and richer. And uh, that leads, that kind of wealth and power re- leads to unsavory characters with money, like getting involved, like, let's be honest, the premier league, <laughs> the best team in the premier league, the team is going to win is owned by, uh, the quote, like, I think his title is the deputy prince of the United Arab Emirates. Like there's, there was almost a, uh, takeover by, uh, a terrible like despot in, uh, Saudi Arabia, or I think Saudi Arabia for take, trying to take over Newcastle. Uh, mm. there's a Russian oligarch who owns yeah. Chelsea. Like these, uh, these aren't good people <laughs> to begin with, right? And and they're also h- half the team. So six out of the 12 teams that are confirmed as permanent members for this Super League, this hypothetical Super League, are non-European, are not owned by non-Europeans, right? There's mm. there's the the deputy prince of the UAE. There's the Glazers, uh, the Glazers who, own, uh, who are just United, own the Tampa Bay Bucks, yeah. Yep, Stan Kroenke, who owns the Avalanche. Um, then Fenway Sports Group. The mm. guys who own John Henry and the guys who own the Red Sox, they own Liverpool. Like they're there, and then there's a Chinese billionaire who owns AC uh, Inter Milan, and then another American who owns a hedge fund here, who owns a, uh, Inter or AC Milan. Yeah. So what the the that message, the message that they're sending, not just to soccer fans, but to sports fans in general, is just like it just doesn't matter. Like you just don't matter. Like mm-hmm. fans will 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 put a cute little slogan for the team, like the marketing campaign will be like, uh, defend New York. But mm. in general, but re- really what we're, what it should say is just like, we're just trying to get rich off of you. <laughs> and they're, and you're able to kind of separate, um, or like you, if you, you understand it, like it's like you, you can appreciate the, you can still appreciate sports because you can, and you can turn a, turn a blind eye to that kind of stuff to an extent because the, it's still what what the sport is supposed to be, right? There's still some romance to uh, the the way that European soccer pyramid was set up, which was a Grimsby Town could go on a run and win their league, get promoted, win the next league, get promoted, and all of a sudden they're playing Manchester United. Like there's there, it would be like if the Long Island Ducks baseball team just all of a sudden was playing the Yankees. And mm. uh, so there, there, there was always that romance. There was always that dream element to the sport. And what these people like, it's, it's the, the crazy thing is like 
this has been so universally reviled by every, I've never I've never seen anything like quite like it. But there's these twelve people, rich dudes, who think that they can get away with taking on a billion people, basically, because they have so much money and influence and power. Um, and that's that. Like I was saying, like that doesn't just send a message to soccer fans, uh, which is the most popular sport in the world. Like if it can happen at soccer, can this is not something that can't jump not not this idea per se but just like the notion that hey we can just get away with anything we want because we're the ones who have the the ball like we can just take our ball and go home if we want um kind of aspect like it's just these it just you are just spitting on fans i was trying i was explaining to someone at work last night and i think a, a good parallel for it is this new rule in baseball with the runner on second and the extra innings which everyone hates but the commissioner is just like i'm just going to do it anyway because I, I like it and the owners like it. So screw you guys. Um, and I was like, imagine that, but multiply it by a billion. <laughs> like, Cause like, that's what it feels like. And to see the outrage reach the level it has in just 24 hours is quite remarkable. And it's also just a kind of the beginning, like there's going to be legal battles that prime ministers are getting, are condemning it. Uh, <laughs> so quotes from basically everybody who is, has any, tangential like connection to, to European soccer uh, get involved. And they're, they're like, it's the, they're threatening to throw Man City, Chelsea. And uh, uh, who's the other one? The I'm blank, drawing a blank here, but they're three of the four teams in the champions league. were also in this uh, breakaway league of Real Madrid and, and the cha- and the UEFA was like, all right, we'll just throw those three teams out of the UEFA, the Champions League semifinals, which yeah. are next, or, which are next week, and whatever, <laughs> we'll figure it out because that, that's just how much of a shockwave it sent. And you just hope that like the the outrage is enough that it stops it. I, I actually don't. I'm not. I'm I'm very upset. Like I'm hurt more than it. It's very depressing because, mm-hmm. like I said, like and I've been saying, you just it just is another showing of like how insignificant the fan is and. You, they'll just take your money. You'll go to the game. You'll pay your money, and that's really all they care about. They just want to squeeze you for your money and, and get on with their their day on their yachts and stuff. But um, I am hopeful that this could end up leading to something better, not just for soccer but sports in general. Where it's like, yeah, maybe like you know, fans can realize that they actually do ha- hold some power um, mm. and and galvanize and stop this thing because that's the, that's like the only way it does get stopped. Honestly, is because uh, th- this is not a new idea, right? They've been talking about the Super League yeah, for, for years, for right? Decades, yeah, basically. And the only way it doesn't get it gets stopped is if like basically nobody shows up for the games or nobody watches the games. And like to, to, for for that to happen, it would take an extraordinary effort uh, of organization. But um, it, like I do think the outrage has has been so unequivocal that hopefully these guys realize they're overplaying their hands and one by one teams start to like kind of drop out or do whatever. But uh, yeah, like they're, it's, it's, it's like, it's going to be like a fascinating saga, uh, like geopolitical saga too. It's not, this is not just, like I said, there's a friggin' deputy prince of the United Arab Emirates. Like the, the, uh, the hilariously, the, everyone kind of associates the super league with PSG Paris Saint-Germain. Cause like, they're owned. They're they're basically uh, just like a money making machine for uh, the the royal family of Qatar, and they're not involved because the guy who owns like Qatar Sport Holdings is uh, a chairman of 
of the UEFA Executive Committee. So, and he also owns BN Sports, which is what the Champions League is played on. So he's like kind of like weirdly on the sidelines of this whole thing. And it's like it's turned guys like that into good guys. It's turned guy. It's turned FIFA, people are rooting for UEFA hilariously corrupt. And then even FIFA, like perhaps one of the the, the most evil organizations this side of the NFL, like uh, in the world, uh, are they're rooting for they're they're the good guys all of a sudden in this in this saga. So it's just for for those reasons, like it's it's going to be a, a really fascinating web to untangle. But um, you just hope that it stops there. It doesn't like infiltrate into other leagues like ours. Um, mm. Not that it would that in that way, but that like these these owners just don't get any ideas like oh like maybe uh you know the rangers are just like yeah like we we want to you know play our games in uh you know on a uh in abu dhabi or something for 10 times a season and stuff like that like they start making ass crazy asks like that because that's how this all started like these leagues these teams started making bigger asks and bigger asks and bigger asks and they started getting granted and all of a sudden like all right we'll see how far we can push this thing and uh they chose it the middle still the middle of a pandemic to to go go with it but so you just you you do hope that james dolan doesn't get any ideas (laughs) yeah there's uh there's a lot of tv money apparently days in is thinking about like kind of being maybe the the tv you know partner for all this stuff and uh there was a good article on defector if anybody wants to check it out that kind of explains it like why this is so bad and and the the writer billy halsey you know put it out like imagine if the Knicks, Lakers, Celtics, Heat, and, you know, four or five other teams decided that instead of playing the NBA playoffs, they would form their own NBA playoffs and they would play the regular season. But then when, you know, the rest of the league was playing the NBA playoffs, they were going to do their own NBA playoffs. And that winner would be the actual winner of the NBA championship. Like, what? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really, it sounds kind of weird, but like, that's kind of what what they're talking about here. And so, yeah, like, you know, UEFA, which is just this awful organization, you know, they're the ones who are like, well, then you're gone. And it's like, but we're in the middle of a tournament right now. And people are like, you can't just do that to UEFA. Like, well, you know, it's, so it's, it is a fascinating thing. And, um, you know, I, and as I said before, like, I, you know, I, I thought about it, I always think of thing, terms in hockey and, you know, that, that sort of NBA analogy was kind of funny, but I, I wondered though, Again, it's this has been universally reviled, you know, that very few, very little things bring the world together these days. But this is one thing that clearly brought the entire world together. Like people are just in our arms about this and just pissed off and hoping it doesn't happen. It is beautiful well, in that way. I will say yeah, that. it's like, great. <laughs> like, as, as, as upset as I was, as this news was breaking last night, there is something like so you wait for like the reaction being like, I, am I like overreacting to this? And then when you see other people who who you respect and stuff like having the same or even more visceral reactions like you're like oh okay like i get it and so you go through that phase and like at this point like on on the cycle and like i'm of the you know after being depressed by the news on the come up like you're like oh no like everybody is united in soccer for the first time like th- this whole season has been about var basically like and complaining about refs and var and there's been obviously like a lot of stuff with like race racial abuse and, and stuff like there's been a lot of horrible things but the, the good thing is like for for the first time in years of like any sport that I can imagine, like I could think of the entire, and, and of course with soccer being a completely global sport, like mm. billions of people the, yeah, like you said, the, the entire world is united with, and, and the great thing is like, it, it literally is like 15 people versus a billion people. And of the billion people are 
Sir Alex, Alex Ferguson and like mm. these huge like figures of the clubs that are leaving. Like Gary Neville, Neville had a had like a very impassioned kind of speech on TV the other day, and he's a, he's a Manchester United legend. Like there's yeah, there's just all that, these yeah. there's just like it's it's weird that not only are the fans together usually like it's fans versus basically everybody in the game, and sometimes like that includes players and coaches, but like now it's like literally everybody versus these twelve boardrooms, which is it's just it's a hilarious but like kind of scary thing. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is that I thought that if this was the opposite and if it was like, Oh man, this is such a great thing. Why not just watch, you know, men, men United versus, uh, you know, AC Milan all the time, every time. Um, what would have, like how long would it take for the Canadian NHL teams to do the exact same thing? Like to just be like, we're going to play, the regular season against all of you lot. But then when you start your playoffs, we're not going to play the Florida Panthers and Columbus Blue Jackets and New York Islanders in the playoffs. We're going to just play ourselves. And, you know, for that matter, we'll just take the Stanley Cup back too. And we'll just play for that. And you guys can come up with some other trophy or something and play for that. We're not going to do that. I mean, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that somebody somewhere north of the 48th parallel is thinking about a way to make this happen and pitch this and be like, so what, you know, what if it's just, it's just Habs and Leafs all the time. And it's just, it's just Oilers and Flames all the time in the playoffs. And like, who cares about the Dallas stars and Carolina hurricanes, you know, let them do their own thing. We'll just have our own. So I just, I don't, obviously in our reality, that's probably not going to happen, but I can see somebody, some of the, the big heads, particularly over at the, uh, athletic.com so to speak uh coming up with a i mean if if there isn't a james Myrtle article about this in the next couple of days i'm gonna be hugely disappointed and uh i just want to see it happen just to watch him get dunked on but oh it's yeah. it's coming that's that's the first <laughs> the, like after after like the uh the fits of you know like i said like existential dread that i felt with this whole thing is is like yeah you start thinking about just hoping that it doesn't seep into other areas of life right. and yeah like I, uh, first thing i thought was like oh my god like the sports books are going to start putting out hypothetical odds they did that and then now and then the second thing i was like i cannot wait for to read uh yeah pierre lebrun talking about <laughs> oh, what would a what would a breakaway league look like for the nhl oh is, is could the uh uefa super could the super league lead to the north division staying forever like could if if these owners like are so powerful if they just band together, like they could probably get the North Division just to be the same forever, and right. like obviously those things won't happen. But the the disc like people like these guys, these folks will talk about hypothetical Canadian teams for yeah twelve years. In these a, are the like, same people that are picking Olympic lineups four years ahead of time. Like nothing is too too insane for them. Yeah, as long as they get to as long as they get to. To, like have an opinion on something and show how much they know and show how much they love Canadian hockey teams. Like they'll, they'll do it. And I really, I, that's, that's going to be what really sets me off is reading, yeah, reading those things like, Oh, like what if, what if, yeah, these, if, if should the Canadian owners like start? Cause part of this whole thing is like the reason that there are six English clubs in it is that the premier league is like, quote, like the most powerful league in the world. Mm-hmm. And so if you're leaving the most powerful league in the world, you better be sure that you're going to have like your um, you're leaving it for the right year for more, for more power, basically. Like, and so the reason that there are six European uh, English teams compared to three from the other two leagues uh, is that 
the English teams want to be able to vote as a block. And so I could see them being like, oh, well, should the Canadian owners, yeah, should they create the Canadian block and to like inf- influence the league more? Like I can, I can totally see that headline from, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the Toronto wing of the athletic. Cause uh, it's just like, it's, that's, that's, that's one of the most frustrating things about this whole thing is these are now conversations that we're having. Cause it's, it's, it's a reality. It's not, it's not that the 2022, if, if Canada had a B team in the Olympics, like that's not happening. It is. This is actually happening. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the should Zach Hyman be on Team Canada for the Olympics uh, uh, conversation. But but yeah, and the other thing, the other cool thing about that Defector article, and I'll put a link to this in the the article for this this episode. You know, talked about how like you know it's it's really based on how those English clubs were founded. Like they were all founded. A lot of them were founded 80, 90, 100 years ago, and so the clubs were the ones that got together to form the league and decided, okay, well, this is going to be our league and we're going to have these rules and we're going to have relegation. So if you don't win enough, you're busted, you're out of the league, you're in the next zone. And then the next guys who won that league can come up. You know, they kind of came up with these rules on their own. Whereas here in, in not just America, but in other places as well, the leagues are the ones that make the rules. Like the league is established and they are the ones that grant expansion teams and teams that move and, you know, you're drafted into the league and then assigned to another team and like the NFL works that way. And you know, the, they all work that way here. So that's, that's kind of another cause of, of difference too, is like you look at it and you're like, well, what do you care if all these teams play like that? But it really would, could potentially upend the entire sports landscape if it were to happen, which again, at this point, I don't know. I think these guys might be like, hmm, I think we made a mistake. Yeah. It's <laughs> going to take, take one of them. Back. It's going to take one of them to do that, but it, 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 it's just, it, it just really does reinforce that notion I've been saying, which is like that these guys, like they just have no regard that Rob Manfred in general, like is part of it. James Dolan, the way he owns, like they, these think about all the worst owners and commissioners you can think about. Um, and these guys are part of that crew. Like none of them, basically none of them are liked and uh, they don't give a, you know, flying, you know what about the fan who's sitting in section three thirty one uh, with, with his, uh, Kyle Oposo jersey from 2013 on like that's just the cruel reality of it and there there was a this is actually a good quote from basically or a good way to think about sports just in general I think uh from uh, uh one of the coaches uh in the Premier League Graham Potter he uh he coaches uh Brighton Brighton Hove Albion so not not a not a big club they're in the Premier League of course um but you know the, he was just talking about how he he knows he's aware that this and this was before this was announced. Mm-hmm. So he uh, he he basically was saying that he knows that uh, he, he said ninety five percent of the league table is like decided by finances, and that's just and in sport in general, like ninety five percent of it just comes down to who has more money. Uh, but his job is to operate in that five percent and just bring glimmers of hope to people. And there are millions of people who who literally live their lives for those five for that five percent so when you take away that five percent like then it just becomes a question of like why are we as fans wasting our time and and you just hope that like i said it just the buck stops with soccer and it just gets quashed and i think it will because i i mean like the response from the players and and but basically everybody's just it's actually been encouraging now to this you know almost 24 hours later like it's almost like this could end actually end up i know it's a cliche to say like uh, don't don't let a good crisis go to waste. But like, it it seems like that actually could be happening here. 
<laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, it, it's definitely interesting. But uh, John Ledecky and uh, Scott Malkin, if you're listening, and I know you are, don't become those guys. Let's put it that way. Don't become James Dolan. Please, for God's <laughs> sake, put the guitar down. Please don't become James Dolan. <laughs> the Islanders Throw Sean Bates out of a know, game. Yeah, that's maybe that's what they need. They need to pick their guitars back up from the bubble. You know, we haven't we haven't seen enough. We haven't seen enough guitar that that seemed yeah. to really be what 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 drove them to to play better in the bubble. So maybe tomorrow on the team bus we'll see Matt Barzell looking handsome as all hell car- carrying a, a guitar case. With them. <laughs> That's right. I completely forgot about that. They had like more guitars than the Eagles, you know. Then <laughs> they just stopped. So yeah, you never know. Find find the find the the fun in your game. We've heard that from Barry too over the last couple of years. So. Now do that. Okay. Well, that's, that was an interesting one. I'm glad I brought it up because that was that was really interesting. And this whole thing is there's so many layers to this. It's crazy. So, uh, you know, again, like you said, hopefully it, it stops here but and becomes just an interesting footnote uh, in the world of global sport. But uh, there are more pressing matters, including a Rangers game for the Islanders on Tuesday and then Thursday and Saturday against the Caps. And they play the Caps again next week. They got a couple of days off, which is good after the first two games. But you gotta get some wins, man. You gotta get. Don't tell me that's hockey. Like, go out there and win some games. <laughs> put some put some lines ups together that that can bring the energy and bring the forecheck and and do what it is that we've seen you guys do for the rest of the season. Uh, okay, please read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up to date Islanders news and discussion. Where can everybody find you on Twitter, Mike? The Big Lebowski with two E's. Follow Mike at the Big Lebowski. Read his work at Action Network. You can follow me at Culture of Losing. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the games. And uh, we'll talk to you sometime next week. And hopefully we'll be in a much better mood. Uh, But uh, that really depends on the Islanders. So thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.